Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod, a new conversation about fan engagement. Don't forget you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join for exclusive member services and benefits. This stuff is the teacher. 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 Welcome to episode 33, a chat with another Mark, uh, Mark Catlin, the Chief Executive of Portsmouth Football Club. Mark is someone I don't need to persuade of the merits of open and transparent communication and good fan engagement as they finished ninth in the inaugural Fan Engagement Index. We chat about the prospects for football whenever it is we emerge from the pandemic and what his concerns are in terms of numbers and whether he's concerned about a potential drop-off in fans attending. We also focus a lot on his views favouring openness and transparency across a whole range of issues that football clubs and football more widely doesn't often agree with, touching on the recent arbitration in particular over the salary cap and the unplayed EFL trophy final between his own Portsmouth and Salford City. Don't forget we've got loads of other episodes including the new Baz chat where we take a particular look at activations, sponsorships and partnerships between brands and rights holders with a fan engagement flavour with a real expert in the field Baz Schneider. A new episode is currently out with new ones every last Thursday of every month. Listen via the usual channels, search fan engagement pod. You can join the fan engagement network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. Oh, look, Mark, right. Um, you've got limited time. I do appreciate it because you've got a game on um, today um, and the weather's not very good. So I know that the ground <laughs> yeah. a little bit crunchy underfoot, as they say. Now, um, you, I mean, I've you helped me actually a while back when, when, when I launched the Fan Engagement Index um, back in 2000, the back end of 2019. So it was for that 2018-19 season. Um, the new one's coming out in is is planned to come out in April now. I've given a bit of of slack because I think it's fair given that 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 you know given the COVID crisis and everything for 2019-20. Anyway, so we have spoken before, and before that, actually, you did help me with my um with my diploma in public relations, and you very kindly were one of my subjects for um for interview along with some people like Andy Ambler, Paul Barber, Paul Barber. Actually, I'm speaking to on Friday. Um, uh, the chief exec and deputy chairman now at Brighton. So, um, so we have spoken before, and, and you've been, as I say, you've been very supportive of some of the stuff that I've tried to do with Fan Insights. Um, what I'm interested in, at the risk of boring everyone silly about the subject, but it is the time we're in. Um, I know your style when it comes to fan engagement. But it is very engaging. It's something you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, you did very well in the index, um, and quite rightly. What's it been like, given the complete lack of, uh, well, pretty much lack of ability to have any one-to-one relationships? Just give us a general picture of what it's been like for a club. Uh, uh, and secondly, um, is that something that you found amongst other clubs um, in the EFL and perhaps more widely than that? Yeah, I think that well, there's a number of things you've thrown up there. Um, I think people not being able to attend games, they automatically become disengaged from the club. And that's a word I'm going to use quite a lot because, um, yeah, I do get emails 
you know, from supporters saying that, you know, I've never felt so distant from the club at the moment. Um, but there's only so much you can do when you're not having that personal interaction on a match day and, and people have got their, their weekly fix of coming to the stadium and, and seeing their players play a game of football. I think it's logical you're going to become detached and disengaged. Um, we've tried to do what we can. I, I do regular monthly Q&A sessions, go on for about 25, 30 minutes. I do a lot of um, fan supporter group meetings by Zoom and Teams to, to try and keep that going. We continue to um, fulfill our promises and obligations to get back to fans that do inquire via the official channels um, in regards of you know, sending in emails and, and letters and requests. So we try and keep all the standard engagement processes going. And, and, and in a lot of instances have enhanced them. We have the Heritage and Advisory Board as well, that that gets fed down. And we, we remain open and accessible. Every time someone sends me a message, you know, text message, or a lot of fans have got my phone numbers and they give me a call, I, I always keep that on and, and keep engaged that way. But ultimately, there's a huge majority of fans that don't have that direct interaction with me that, that their life is to, to go to Fratton Park to watch a home game. Um, and that is really where the, the ultimately the interaction is at its most raw in being there cheering for your side, you know, feeling part of the team and mixing with other fans. So I think it's logical a lot of fans are going to feel <coughs> But there's only so much you can really do, Kevin, is you can't do everything. You know, it's... Um, just think that's unfortunately an, a natural consequence of, of the COVID situation. And that's the sort of um, that's the sort of thing that we can quickly forget if we're not careful. People like me um, and others who are preoccupied with engagement and clubs, right? We're out there trying to measure it and understand it. You forget that if um, if the major element of the business isn't actually happening, being the the, the the um the hosting the putting on a match is of you know it's an event in in that sort of functional sense an events business if you're not running events <laughs> um this being football matches then um you've you have lost um the major point of contact and it's not even it there, there is that thing isn't um i think you talked about it before the sort of um i might not use the phrase silent majority but it's a kind of good it's a good way of pointing out the fact that there there is a big lump of people who, for whom engagement with their club is being at the game. It's, it's what you're doing is creating a space for people to have relationships with each other. You know, the hug a stranger when you, when you score the last minute equaliser, you won't see them during the week other than a Tuesday or Wednesday fixture. And that, that there isn't really anything you can do um, to make those people feel any closer. So is there, is there <laughs> in terms of the prospects for, return forgetting trying to work out when that's going to happen i mean you know, i think you know most people are optimistic it will happen at some point later in the year but, you know later in the year means a lot of things but um are you are you um are you concerned about um people's habits changing during this time because there's a lot lots of conversations i'm having with people and i don't know whether we're just kind of having them and then we so we're having lots of these conversations and it's the same ones being recycled through the system or whether there is a, a genuine concern and possibility that we might start losing people permanently. 
through. Yeah, through I think I think unfortunately, as as a result of COVID, um, and sorry to be so blunt about this, but just the number of deaths that there's been, and quite, I, I wouldn't at all be surprised in in Pompey's case, knowing the people I know that have sadly passed away, you probably lose lost a hundred or two of our regular lifetime season ticket holders. You know that that. Uh, uh, just naturally bought a season ticket. So if you if you take that statistic out, then you've got the knock-on effect. I think there's going to be a real nervousness of mass gatherings for quite a, a while. A lot of people, um, you know, scared of, of coming back and, and a bit nervous. So I get that. But yeah, most of all, people change their habits. Um, people, we are creatures of, of habit generally where three o'clock on a Saturday, 7.45 on a Tuesday, are the, are the times that a lot of people go out and, and you know, it's part of their ritual to, to go and watch a football match. But maybe that's changed. And maybe to a degree, if, if you class it as a drug going to football, I certainly do. Um, they've weaned themselves off that drug. So I do have huge concerns. Um, our average season ticket, I say last, just, just before the pandemic, we were up at 14 and a half, 15,000 capped at that. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, naturally, as a result of all the above I've just mentioned, we'll probably lose 10-15% that, that will probably never return again, sadly. Um, and we, football's a, a funny animal, success, promotion, you know, I, I think that the fan base at Pompey specifically is that, that, you know, in the event of success, I think they'll come flocking back and, it, and it'll be backfilled by new supporters and a, and a new generation coming through. But we will have to work hard at that to to get fans back into the stadium. But yeah, in regards to percentages, it wouldn't surprise me at all if most clubs as a whole attendances are down 10 to 20% maybe, you know, for a year or two overall. So this, see, this season, Mark, when it comes to, I don't want to major too much on season ticket numbers and all that kind of commercial and income related stuff, but it does, you know, it does matter. So have you, you have presumably done what a lot of clubs have done and you sold at least forms of season ticket this year, um, if nothing else, to ensure there's some income to to, to be able to pay for um, well, the lion's share budget. I, I think looking at what other, and I'm not on here to, to knock other clubs, you know, everyone's got to do what they've got to do, but we just charged £25 to season ticket holders to reserve their seat for this current year. And... Some have been lucky to buy a ticket when we were allowed fans in. Others, unfortunately, haven't. Yeah. So we, I know of a lot of clubs that have charged a full season, like a normal season ticket, you know, three, four hundred pound, whatever that might be, depending on the league and the club. But and have then just given away the I follow pass to um, sort of as a, as compensation. Um, so listen, every every club's different. We didn't do that. We just charged £25 as an administration fee to reserve your seat um, for that particular season. And we have given iFollow passes away um, to those, what we called, it's a sort of a flexi ticket as such, yeah, for the season as well. So I think we've been very, very good with our fans in that regard. It has put huge financial strain on us as a club. Luckily, we have got Michael Eisner and our owners that are there behind us supporting our decisions um, that have given us the financial flexibility to be able to do that. But as you know, a lot of other clubs, you know, that with owners that 
you know, don't have the resource to put in six, seven hundred thousand pound a month, which is the level that Michael's at to support the club at the moment. Um, I've, I've had to charge, you know, season to get old as normal and, and relied on iFollow and, and the various streaming platforms to, to um, you know, placate their season to get holders. But, but we haven't done that, as I said, and um, I think I feel quite proud we've done that, but we've only been able to do it because of, you know, the, the wealth of our owner. Hi, I just want to take a quick moment to tell you about Match Day Digital, the world's first football first digital magazine platform bringing together premium paid content from clubs match day programs popular football magazines newspapers and high quality fan produced fanzines it's quite the list uh, match day digital brings football content and supporters together in a single app which allows clubs and other publishers to deliver their content to a much wider audience than they would through their own print or digital sites and apps all especially relevant obviously during this covid era you can download the app on Google Play and Apple Store. Go to matchdaydigital.co.uk for more. And if you're a club, drop the fellas over there a line. They're really friendly, and I'm sure they'd love a chat with you about your needs. It's an interesting one that I, 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 want, I, I want to sort of look at at some other point in the near future is, uh, is um, ranging from fan ownership all the way through to um, private owners as well. But there's a trend I'm detecting. It's, you, you can find you can you can you can find it if you look for it. There is a trend of of um, people coming involved in football, and certainly from sort of I think certainly League One and Two clubs. Um, uh, uh, and these people are what I would call sort of enlightened investors, and they look at they look at the club as a project, and they understand something slightly different from. You know what I would generally say is, unfortunately, the largely quite often destructive force of private ownership, particularly in EFL clubs, over the pre preceding a large amount of the preceding twenties. Because you know I can speak from experience. I was clearing up a lot of the mess, <laughs> whether it was necessarily caused directly by bad decisions or whether it was collective bad decisions on things like ITV Digital. We were seeing lots of. We were seeing. I think at the very least, we were seeing our struggle. And what and it's an interesting one to now see these enlightened owners, these people coming in who seem to actually look at this and say, This is a project, right? This isn't something that I'm doing to propel us up the divisions in three years, because actually you might as well play Russian roulette with six bullets in a gun by the time you get into the championship. So so let's build this. This is something more. So I want to come back to that. And it might be something that I come back and talk to you about because I know it's something, you know, this yeah, you think quite deeply about. Just on that, the, the yeah. concept of fan ownership, the concept of you know um, wealthy benefactor ownership, it comes down to the individuals involved. I don't think there is a right and wrong in either scenario. It, we are very lucky we've got a very good owner. Other clubs have been unlucky in not having good owners. But equally, mm. there, there are examples of clubs that have been fan owned that have got into trouble as well. No, totally. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's an issue. You know, we could speak for hours about um, how how bad, um, um, maybe bad rules, bad implementation of rules, lack of support, all those sorts of things make bad ownership possible in any context, doesn't it? And 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 but you still, in the end, need good culture and good people, and that has to be a major part. Um, and I will touch on that towards the end because I think there's an. Sorry, Mark, go on. Just as well on that. Yeah. I've seen good owners become bad owners yes. through pressure. 
Yes. No, totally. Yeah. No, totally. As fans, and I'm taking my chief exec director hat off here. I'm talking as a fan now. Sometimes fans have to look at themselves in the mirror to drive out good owners and force them into making decisions they really didn't want to make. And then they become resentful and that leads to a breakdown between the owner and the fans. I think that, that you've opened, you're, you're prizing Oprah Pandora's box there of things that I'd like to talk <laughs> about at more length. Um, what, what, the, a couple of things that interest me, there's just two things I want to really want to pick up on. You were talking about future fans. You know, this, this, um, the optimist in me says, look, at some point in the future, not that necessarily everything will return. It won't all return to normal, whatever normal looks like, because it just naturally does, because as we've already talked about, habits change. We are going to see a drop-off. Um, we, we should certainly all be preparing for there to be a drop-off, and we should be preparing to work hard to regain as many of those people as possible and start to bring in new people. Now, one of the interesting conversations I had, I don't want to just focus on purely the particular vehicle, but... Um, last a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with a guy called Trev Keane, who is uh, who who does esports. Now, obviously, at the top level, esports is about um, you know Wolves becoming part of Fortnite, and that's all very interesting. But something that only top clubs can do. But one of the things I sort of landed on was, look, if we're gonna um, if we're gonna be looking at try, trying to attract younger, and it, and it often is younger fans, not just newcomers to the town or whatever. Um, uh, then you're going to need to start talking to them through their own media and engaging with them through their own media. And their own media is not, it's not even Twitter half the time. In fact, these days we know it's not even really Instagram. Um, that's become something. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're talking, you're talking about, um, you're talking about things like uh, uh, TikTok. You're, and then in gaming terms, you're talking about not even trying to broadcast through the game itself, but actually create, start to create relationships through things like, um, you know, you, you've got a big space at Portsmouth, put on put on events that are themed around e-sports, e for example. Have you sort of begun to look, I mean, you're trying to run a football club in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> but something like that, I'm really ex quite excited by the idea that we start engaging through that and not just to get fans through the gate. Ultimately, we need that. But actually to create relationships with those people we start using those you know have you started looking at that because it's a you, know, you can't just get a tiktok channel and then hope that everyone starts it's not how it works is it you, no, you, so it doesn't just yeah just yeah. just in regards to portsmouth football club on that pre-covid we were very much advanced with that to the point where we were about to employ someone to to start exclusively looking because as is with anything you know everyone's really busy if you, if you give it as an add-on it doesn't get done properly so pre-covid we were advanced in actually employing someone just to focus on the esports space it's something our owners are, are very much involved in and, and, and want to help and assist it, but to be honest with you as just gone on the back burner given all the other challenges that we've been facing at the moment i.e trying to preserve jobs and not create new employment at this particular time with no income coming in. So but it is something that we do keep an eye on. Actually, just this morning, Anna Mitchell, our chief commercial officer and our head of, of digital, we did have a meeting about this as one of the things that we need to now start focusing on as we gradually and hopefully start to come out of this current COVID pandemic time. Um, but you are correct. Yeah, engaging with people online, 
opening up the stadium earlier, putting on mini tournaments. I know that pre-COVID, we would already start discussions with clubs about having, so if we plan Swindon as an example tonight, we would have kicked off a couple of hours early with, you know, a, a, a FIFA tournament between Swindon and Portsmouth as an example. So it is something that we have, have seriously looked at and something coming out of COVID, as you say, will be a great way of in, engaging and re-engaging with our fan base. Okay, um, that, that's really good. I think that's really encouraging. I mean, I don't, I don't detect, uh, I don't detect across the industry that there that there's that um, progressive view about it, and it doesn't surprise me that a you as a person think think in this way, but b also, um, given who owns your, your football club, it doesn't surprise me that that there's some thinking being done there, given the fact that the relationship, you know, you know, his his uh. Uh, was he chief executive? He wasn't owner of Disney, was he? He was. He was chairman and chief yeah. executive. Chairman and chief executive. Yeah, yeah, for Disney Corporation. So, um, but that sort of kind of brings me to a to to the sort of I think the sort of final talking point really for me that that has been sort of nagging away at me a little bit is um, I'm what something I've always been um, cognizant of something I've always noticed by its absence almost, because of my conversations with clubs, um, uh, 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 as much as uh, conversations with fans and seeing seeing what might be the symptoms of this. And that's that it concerns me that, and <clears throat> that I don't always see enough, um, and I might be wrong, but I'm, I don't think that there's enough support for things like fan engagement centrally at the EFL beyond things like the sort of fan experience stuff. Actually, I, I and, and and you know I'm prepared to be told that I'm wrong, but um, is that something? Do you think that the clubs need to be more more um, not demanding that they need to realise that actually if the EFL was able to provide more support, and that does mean freeing up more of the financial benefits of the sponsorship and uh, agreements it has with um, you know, companies and the and the broadcasting rights, that if it could create more support centrally for things like this this might be a positive benefit for the bottom line for clubs um and i'm you know very general terms i'm not just talking about helping them to set to set a, a fans partner and stuff but some of the stuff you've been talking about when it comes to esports and you know looking at opportunities to use engagement as a way of driving the bottom line which in the end is what good fan engagement does and you've you've proven that at, at Pompey. Oh, I, I think that it's it's not just the efl the premier league it's clubs individually as well. I do think that there is too much, um, it's cultural. There's too much inherent secrecy in clubs. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big believer in protecting commercial sensitive information and, and people's salaries and whatever. That, that's totally different. It's like any other business. But there's a lot of stuff that is kept secret that I do believe that the organization and the clubs could be a lot more transparent and we try to be at Portsmouth. So I'll give you a couple of recent examples. The EFL trophy, as you know, we're in the final. It's been delayed, delayed. Our fans getting a refund. You know, when are they getting it? Is the game going ahead or not? We tried to keep the fans. We were having regular monthly meetings, more or less, with the EFL. We were very keen, as were Salford and, and Gary Neville as such, yeah, to say we have to keep our fans involved in the process. So every time we had a meeting, we had an agreed press statement that went out. We didn't just sit on the information and let fans try and work it out. We tried to keep them involved. What our thinking was, 
why we had made a particular decision. And, and really central to it all was the un underlying strategy of trying to get fans, giving it as long as we could, before we could get fans back into the stadiums. Um, because ultimately playing the final at Wembley without fans, yeah, all right, it's a final, we, you know, it's a good game to watch, whatever it be on Sky. But ultimately we tried to prolong the process as long as we could to make to give it the best chance possible of allowing fans into into the game yeah so we explained it all the way along we took the fans with us um and the and to be fair the EFL supported us now I can go into saying a little bit more in depth that as you know we've been against the salary cap in its current form you know we've been vocally very against that and the arbitration was two weeks or so ago and then I given, gave an interview with a local um, newspaper where I said, yeah, the arbitration took place a couple of weeks, like a couple of weeks ago, only to receive a call from another club or, or someone at the FS said, why have you put that out there? Asked me the question. I said, well, surely an arbitration, going to the arbitration that everyone knew was going to happen and saying it's taken place isn't top secret. Like, why is that top secret? I'm not giving anything away. I'm just saying that it's taken place. But it is that inherent culture of we can't let fat like there are things you shouldn't let supporters know or you know in in any business that's right but there's so many things that if people knew the arbitration as an example was going to take place and that was common knowledge why not give the date when it's taking place and when we're expecting a result it's it, those things yeah. that you can engage a lot more with fans and it not be run like a secret society from like soviet russia in the 1960s <laughs> or the or just I think the British are very good at secret societies without needing to take lessons from the <laughs> I'm very well aware of the time, Mark, but um, that was my, you know, that in the end, I think really is what I'm trying to get at is I, you know, just like I say to people constantly, uh, and it sometimes annoys the hell out of me that there are some very, uh, um, um, some people who are very keen on reform of governance and they talk about, um, you know, the way that clubs behave and, the, and all that kind of stuff. And they seem to still think that the EFL isn't, uh, is, is this organisation that acts independently. And, and there are times when the executives will make decisions. I'm absolutely sure of that they're given the authority to do that. And, and that, you could that you could possibly talk about some things, some guide, they might guide, guide clubs in a particular way sometimes, and you might not agree with that. But this is coming from clubs. The clubs mm. set a lot of the culture. And I, and, you know, a lot of what I look at, I think, do you know what I'd like to see an EFL particularly that's empowered to support the clubs to promote the kind of thing you're talking about and to push for transparency on those issues because it reduces the tension and that hot that awful tension you can get with around really silly issues that actually if you just published the fact that something like an arbitration existed the conversation kind of runs out of runs out of gas there is no there's no intrigue left so no I you know I come very much from the position that you do, which is, I think a lot of this comes from clubs, but Mark, is there something, is there, is there one sort of, is there, I mean, it's a, it's a, I just want to leave with, with, with something, you know, a little bit of wisdom from you. Um, you know, difficult. You've been waiting a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, modest as ever, Mark. The, but the, the, you've been, you know, you've been running Pompey now for what, five years, something like that. I think it is. Is that right? Five, five six years this is eight years now eight years there you go i'm completely out of touch um yeah yeah so you've been you've been involved there for eight nine years um is there 
is there a singular lesson um, that you would want to pass on to anyone if someone was coming into Portsmouth or someone picked up the phone and said, look, I'm about to start running this club or I've been running this club for goodness knows how long. We've got new owners in. They want to do things uh, in a different way, but I haven't got the first idea where to start. What What's the major lesson that you've learned from your time at Pompey? Also, obviously, your involvement in Spain, your you know, you you helped you you were helped to run Berry some years back. Is there one thing that stands out for you? Yeah, I think always be open, honest, transparent. As long as you're honest and factual, just stick to the facts as much as possible because no one can come back after you if you just work around the facts. And whilst ultimately, you know, I, I class myself as a fan CEO as such, like I've, I'm very much a fan myself yeah you you have to listen to the to the fans obviously but always act in the best interest of the club because you might have certain information F fans will just spend your money for you as, as an owner it's like get rid of this manager why aren't we bringing this player in and then two years later when you're in the depths of looking staring administration down the barrel of a gun they forget they then you know criticize you for making the decisions that they forced you to do some years previously why don't we give this player a new contract, you know? And, but it is that education process as to why, let's just say as a round figure, you've got a dressing room full of players on a thousand pound a week, round figure, just as general. And you've got a superstar player that's scoring a lot of goals and another club wants him and he wants 3000 pound a week to stay. Great, in isolation, you probably would pay him 3000 pound, but then it's the knock on effect of what that does to the changing room and that every player that goes for a purple patch and has interest is also knocking on the door, wanting £3,000 a week because that becomes the new benchmark. So it's trying to explain that rationale of why you can't give X player a new pay rise. And I'm just using that as an example, you know, but get that message out and get it out clearly, concisely. Talk, you don't have to be talk about individuals as names, but just as, as a general strategy and concept. And so that would be always just be open, honest, transparent, engage as much as you can, and, and never forget that ultimately to do the job properly, you've got to be a fan yourself. Just treat people how you would like to be treated yourself as a fan. And that's what I always try and do.